Good morning. So where's the Sermon on the Mount series? <laughs> uh, Cameron had an opportunity to go with some other Partners in Harvest leaders to a fasting and prayer weekend. And just in looking at that, it was a really good idea for him to go. He's got a big year ahead of him, doesn't he? And uh, so he is going to join a bunch of leaders. Actually, he's doing that right now. And um, in order for him to be able to go, someone had to speak. And um, <clears throat> it was funny because, like, no one else could do it, and I was totally willing. And I, but the, my motivation was I really want Cameron to go. And um, I was looking through this Sermon on the Mount, and I was praying about whether I should continue the series. And I um, talked with Cameron, and he said, whatever you feel like the Lord's leading you to. And I was praying, and um, nothing was really sticking out to me. And uh, the Lord had, like, a few weeks earlier spoken to me out of James 3. And that idea kept coming to my mind. And then in this one moment, just the Lord spoke to me and said, I planted that word in you a few weeks ago because I knew you were going to speak this coming Sunday, and I, I want you to speak that word. And as uh, just the time has passed, some of the dreams people have been having and some of the prayers we've been praying just feels like this is a really timely word for right now. So it feels like God has just opened up a window for this um, message today. And uh, God is so good. He is so good. I'm going to start in John 17. This is one of my favorite scriptures for the last couple of years. And um, I've just, I keep looking at it and keep thinking about it. And it's really powerful. I feel like there's a lot of uh, just anointing on it. And especially for, for this time and season that we're in. Um, Jesus is praying, and he's saying, I do not pray for just these, my disciples here, but also for the ones who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And this morning when we were speaking, or singing the Revelation song, and just how holy God is, and his glory is in us. You know, Jesus says that right here. He has given us the glory that the Father gave him, that they may be one just as we are one. And, uh, you know, Jesus prayed this prayer, and he was praying for us, his church, the church that has been since right now, and the church that will go, you know, after us. And he is declaring and praying the unity of the church that the Trinity experiences, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experience a unity that we do not know, but he's praying that we will know that oneness, that unity, and uh, I believe and know that his prayer is going to come true, that the church is going to be a unified bride, and uh, Jesus knows what he's talking about here. He knows that we are going to be redeemed perfectly. We're going to be a pure and spotless bride, and um, and uh, there's things that take away from that unity. There are things that, that rob us of that unity. And the church hasn't looked pretty always, but it, it will because God is that good. So in James 3, let's just start with chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. Um, this first section I'm just going to read through. And you guys can read with me here. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. 
Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And uh, just in this whole segment, the Lord is talking about our words and the power of our words and how, how crazy it is that the Lord has given us such power because when he created the world, just his words alone created everything that you see right now. Just his words did that. They created us, the people you relate with, the whole world. He created that with just his words. And then he made us. And so he gave us that ability to create with our words, to have that much power. And I was thinking about how interesting it is that God is an invisible God to us, and yet he created things that were tangible with his words, and how we are tangible, and we, our words create things that are invisible. just thought that was kind of interesting. But it's true. So here um, it just reveals that our mouths actually set direction. Our mouths actually cause us to set a direction. And it talks about that with the ship and the rudder of the ship and the bit in the horse's mouth. Those things are directional things. And, and our words actually set direction. That's how powerful they are for, I mean, incalculable amount of things in our lifetime. I had a, a friend that I was hanging out with the other day, and she has a little one-and-a-half-year-old and she has a three-year-old. And, you know, we were just, you know, in, in the course of the time we were hanging out, she said to her little ones, Oh, how are you doing, sweet girl? Can I get you something? How are you doing, sweet boy? Can I get you something? Or do you need help with that, sweet boy? Oh, sweet boy. She kept saying those things as like a little, you know, title over them and um, all day. And I didn't really think about it too much then. But then later I was talking to Seth about hanging out with them, and I was saying, you know, those kids are just so sweet. They're just really, they just, it's just like they have sweet hearts or something, and they're really nice to be around. And um, later then I thought about that, like, wow, they, she is basically prophesying over her children, and the, the title or the word that she's giving them is being made manifest in their hearts, and they're acting that way. I was like, that's a good parenting tool right there. <laughs> but it's coming out of her heart as, you know, she loves them, and she sees the sweetness in them, and her love is sweet towards them, and it's just kind of all happening there. And um, I, my parents just got this dog recently, and it's a puppy, so it's a puppy, and puppies like to, you know, do things and eat 
toilet paper and you know mess things up and and stuff and um she's a little bit rambunctious has moments of intense intense rambunctiousness and since we got her just <laughs> you know we're not young folk I don't know I just feel like I don't have a ton of energy to pour into this little dog and I know my parents aren't like you know we we love the puppy but since she came I've been saying oh peaceful dog <laughs> Oh, peaceful puppy. What a peaceful puppy you are. <laughs> and it's hard in those moments uh, where she's not to, like, say that. But I, I feel like that's her future, you know. I just am kind of waiting for that to manifest itself. But I'm sure it will. Peaceful puppy. Peaceful, sweet puppy. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And uh, <clears throat> when I was... um first married to Seth, my friend and I uh, formed a business, and we did leadership workshops in schools, public schools, and it was kind of our little plan to bring leadership principles to schools that were really based in Christian ideas and, and the love of the Lord, but without saying, you know, stuff about God specifically, but we would do, you know, team building exercises and talk about diversity and we'd talk about self-esteem and all those leadership things that are really helpful, but we would completely uh, saturate every teaching with stuff from God. We'd say stuff like, there's a wise saying that says, and then we'd like kind of paraphrase scripture, you know, um, but it, it was really fun time. And, um, I was reminded at that time of just how school can be, and kids, middle school and high school, um, it's tough world, man. They can be mean to each other. I remember the days, <laughs> and recess could be brutal, you know. I remember running constantly the entire time of recess, trying to avoid getting caught by some mean people, just running just the whole time, just to, for my life. <laughs> but yeah, so I, school was school can be hard and we would enter into these environments man in the morning the kids would just come in with attitude and just like oh what is the special thing we have to do today and over the course of the day just with all the stuff we were doing and all the words we were saying and all that stuff they would kind of come out of it so different it was like life was entering into them and they would you know leave the day really encouraged and that was our goal um but it was like a major battle every time just you know, we're kind of coming into this atmosphere and bringing a different atmosphere and seeing the goodness of God. It was just a really powerful time. But we would do the self-esteem talk, and it was very much laden with the whole idea of ungodly beliefs and lies that we believe and the power of the tongue. And we just kept talking about how words actually do have power and how we believe things about ourselves. We called it fact versus the truth. Fact is that you might feel like you're this, but the truth is, is that you're like this. And um, <clears throat> so... It was really cool, but this we would prophesy over the kids, but we kind of made it seem like, oh, today I noticed about you that this, and then we'd like prophesy, <laughs> and you are like this, and this, and this, and, and this one day, it was like the first time we were kind of doing this, we picked three kids because we just had that much time, and we picked a kid and prophesied another kid and prophesied another kid and prophesied, and it was amazing to see how everybody around them was like, yeah, like, he's really like that, or she's really like that, and it was really positive things about them, and we wouldn't know, because we didn't know them very well, but all the kids would start kind of cheering, like, 
yeah, that's what they're like. You know, they were responding and resonating with the truth of the Lord about, you know, someone they knew, where normally in a recess, it didn't look like that necessarily. Maybe they cut them down or it'd be easy to, you know, tear down. But it was like they responded. They knew that this was God, you know. And, um, I mean, they didn't know. But, you know, something inside of them knew. And they would just respond. And so we would prophesy and prophesy and prophesy. And this one day that we had done it for the first time, it was like God just put his kind of thumbprint of approval on it, and the kids just, we finished, and the kids just, the whole room just, like, lifted up with applause and cheering and clapping, and the kids were like, do me, do me, do me. And they could, you could feel them responding and resonating with truth that they probably don't hear of that often. You know, it's just easy to let negativity come out. You can even see it in the children. But I love the part where in this section that it talks about how with a ship that even in the face of fierce winds, that little rudder can steer that ship. So even in the face of negativity or whatever's going on, the words of life can steer the ship through a storm, not being able to be resisted or you know go a different way, but the storms of life can be managed with words of truth and words of life and, and the grace of the Lord. You know, anytime you're going through something hard, I'm telling you the scriptures are so full of power and life. They will guide you through any circumstance. They will guide you through any difficulty with such power. It keeps that ship maintaining course no matter what the enemy wants to do. That's the power of words. That's the power of the Lord. And that's what we can cultivate in our, heart, in our lives and hearts. It's so cool to see Jesus because he actually gives us that perfect example, that perfect example of someone who could tame their tongue. You know, in the Bible, it says that we can do the things that Jesus did. And it is, it is possible to tame your tongue. It is possible to kind of be a mouthful of grace. Your words will come through with truth and wisdom, just like Jesus did. He was our guide. He was the one who set the example for that. So let's look at where words come from. Where do our words come from? Hmm. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So it's from the heart that our words come from. And I, I liken our hearts, and I have before talked about how our hearts are like a garden. And how in our garden, our heart is the place where we can cultivate, you know, life and good things, or we can cultivate the negative things and the things that bring death. And, you know, things can spring up. You know, you can have a garden full of fruits and vegetables that are good, and sometimes a weed or something can spring up, and it can kind of choke out the things around it and bring death. So when I was first um, married to Seth, I knew that he was from an agricultural place. In fact, when we were dating... I really enjoyed the farmlands of Sturgis, Michigan, where he was from. And we would go to the barns where his friends had a farm, and we would go and hang out on the tractors, and 
I was like, what is this machine and what does it do? I love this because I was from here and I grew up on a city block and I knew what was going on at the mall, but I'd never quite seen like the farmlands, you know? But I do, this is the truth is that my grandpa was a farmer and all of my relatives on that side of the family were farmers um, from Holland, uh, the country. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I feel like it's in my blood. I just, I got so excited when I got to kind of be introduced to farmlands through Seth, but um, I care about, you know, the rain and whether the corn is getting enough, you know, is it going to be a good crop this year? It's kind of in there a little bit, maybe because we all talked about it on my dad's side of the family, but it's in my blood, but I just would get so excited going down to those fields. Well, anyway, we get married, and Seth had spent some time in the fields, you know, when he was younger. They would raise, you know, make money, especially when you're young and you're like a young teenager and you just want to make some extra cash. Those farmlands are a wealth of 7-Eleven money, man. You can really make some good money down there. We didn't have anything like that. I mean, I could, you know, try and do some chores around the house, but like they had these farmlands that they could, you know, work. So Seth did that. So when we first got married, he thought, you know, let's make some extra money let's go down to the fields. And I was like, what? We are going to do this? Well, there's this thing called roguing. And you know how when you're driving along the cornfields, because that was what I did. I was, in this moment, I was actually in the cornfields, but normally I would be driving along the cornfields and the corn would be a certain height. And every so often you'd see like something shoot out, like a, a corn that was like bigger, which in my mind I'd think, oh, that's going to be a really big ear of corn, and that's a good thing. But oh no, I learned, nope, those rogue corns are not good. And we were there to take them out, to, to take out the rogue corns, because the reason is, I just, we just looked this up, um, those rogue corns will cross-pollinate with, because the, the rogues are the ones that are not of the pure type, and they will basically cross-pollinate with the ones around them and then kind of basically um, take away from the purity of the corn around it. And so, so those rogue corns are bad. So we would go through, and we have this little tool, which I really enjoyed using for that one time we did it. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it very often. And we'd go around and like, you'd see a rogue corn and you'd just like slash it at the base and it would just kind of go out. And you would take care of the problem. There was no more cross-pollinating and it would not spread and cause basically the corn to not be as effective or good. And so we just did the whole field faster you can go the more money you make. <laughs> so we would just go fast and we'd kind of take out all the corn. And, you know, at the time I thought it was really fun. It was really fun. And we made some, you know, money. I thought that was really cool. And Seth spent a lot of time when he was young doing that. It was a learning experience for us all. But basically that's what happens when negative thoughts and um, things that are full of like, you know, just not life-giving ideas, they spring up in our hearts and minds and then they seem like the biggest thing around. And, and all the other ideas, the positive ones, the good things, the ones that are life-giving, kind of fade away. You just see the one thing, and it's easy to focus on that one thing. And that can basically infect and take out all the other good, pure ideas around it and basically cause less unity within yourself, less goodness within yourself, less positivity within yourself. So the key to taming the tongue lies in the heart. 
So we're going to move down James 3, 13 through 18. And this second segment feels a little bit unrelated, but I'm going to show you how actually it is. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Our hearts, they can carry those things. They can carry envy and self-seeking in them. That can be something that is in our garden. It can be a rogue thought or a rogue idea that's settled in our hearts, and it's kind of tainting the other ideas around um, that, bringing a less pure idea inside of you. So in other words, in, found in the Greek around envy are contentious rivalry and jealousy. And that those things are, you know, based in the idea that we're, you know, not a son or a daughter. You know, Jesus was the perfect example of a son who knew his father. And we're all orphans. We start out as orphans. And as we come into a relationship with the father... We start knowing his love and knowing our place. And so we're kind of in process of kind of rooting out the orphan ideas that are inside of us and grabbing a hold of the ideas of what it means to be a son, the love, the truth, the truth that we have a place. But when we don't believe we have a place, that's where envy can come in because other people have a place, but I don't have a place. And so you can kind of think that other people are, are, are getting more or something, and that's where envy and jealousy and that, you know, rivalry can come into place. And with self-seeking, the Greek words around that are selfish ambition, strife, and having a fractious spirit. So anything that's um, kind of about me, you know, and the first sin that Adam and Eve made was, was one of self. It was one of, you know, I want to gain here. And, and since then, we have been divided from the Lord in that. And so working our way through our thoughts and pulling out the envious ideas, going and roguing your own heart, going ahead and taking out those ideas that are full of envy or self-seeking of any kind, because it says that wherever those things are, it produces confusion in every evil thing, you know. And, and without realizing it, we can tend to, you know, tweak situations and turn them into ones that have, you know, a bit of taintedness to it. Just like the rogue corn, it cross-pollinates with those other thing, corns around it, and it makes corn that is not pure. So then it says, but the wisdom from above, that's from God, is, is full of purity, is full. It's like the opposite in every way. It's purity. It's peace. It's gentleness. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy. You know, the envious ideas and the, the thoughts of our heart that have that self-seeking are ones of division. Basically, those divide the church. And those rogue thoughts and those rogue words that we speak out of our mouth because that's what's in our heart, that can bring division in the church. You know, and that's what Jesus said, that his church would be a unified bride. And so... When we have wisdom from above, it brings unity, 
peace, purity, pure thoughts about other people, pure thoughts about ourselves. You know, pure, unpure thoughts about ourselves are the foundation of unpure thoughts about other people. And so when we root out unpure thoughts about ourselves, what we're doing is we're helping our relationships, you know. So what the Lord spoke to me, he said that the key to taming our tongue is having wisdom from above. He didn't leave us high and dry when he said, who can tame the tongue? It's a world of iniquity. He said all those things. He didn't leave us high and dry because the next scripture talks about wisdom from above. And that is the key he's given us to taming our tongues. You know, um, those ideas, the, the envious thoughts and the self-seeking words and all that stuff. You know, it says here that um, that spring that has bitter thoughts and um, fresh out of the same mouth should not be. We cannot, you know, bless our God and Father and curse man which is made in the similitude of God. But it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy because God is good, and he's, you know, not tangible. But this person next to me that's really annoying, <laughs> I can talk easily about them, you know. But out of our mouth should be pure. With wisdom from above, you know, we can have pure mouths and pure hearts towards others, towards men, you know, and we won't have that kind of dual idea coming out of our hearts and minds. And this is funny how it says that our, our tongue is so set among our, among our members. And I'm just like, I know how that feels. My tongue is set. Like when I start saying something and I have this idea that I probably shouldn't say this thing, it just wants to keep going. And I'm always like, back up, back up. But it's too late. It's out, you know. And um, it is so set among our members. It is true. This is a true word. I know about this. But the beauty of it is, is that the wisdom that's from above can really help us root out the rogue ideas and help us to speak life so that what is set among our members is truth and goodness and life about other people, about ourselves. So that, that jealousy and the self-seeing, that produces division in the church, division in our relationships and our families. But the heavenly wisdom that's from above brings unity. We want our garden to be filled with wisdom that's from above. And Paul said in Ephesians 3, he was talking about um, when the Gentiles basically were, it became clear that the revelation from God was that the Gentiles can now be a part of this truth about Jesus Christ, and they could kind of join in with the Jews who were worshiping him. And he was talking about that when he says, Now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And that wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, the word manifold there means many-colored wisdom. And that manifold wisdom was revealed in that time, and it is continuing to be revealed from God to us. But what it says is that that manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So, so we are to access the manifold wisdom of God. We are the ones. And then it says, to who do we reveal that wisdom to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So the wisdom that we get, the power of our words, actually speaks and teaches the principalities and powers in the heavenly places about what God wants to do, about what God's saying. Isn't that powerful? Talk about, like, changing your circumstances. 
Talk about, <laughs> you know, really being able to, in God's authority, impact the spiritual realm over our city, over our family. The manifold wisdom of God. So he wants to reveal that wisdom to us and reveal to us the principalities, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And that is the power of our words. And that is the power of the wisdom of God. So we want to be a unified church, a people that represents the Father. We want to step into, not hope one day that we become that unified church, but engage with it now, being that unified church that Jesus talked about. And I believe it for a new day, that we can be a unified church full of the wisdom from above. And um, I just felt like the Lord was saying this morning that he is drawing people to him. He is drawing his sons and daughters to him because it's in that relationship with him and in his word that we access that wisdom. We need that wisdom for situations and circumstances. So surrendering our hearts to the Lord, saying, God, you know, if there's any envy in me, if there's any self-seeking in me, I just repent for that. And, you know, I've had times where I've given God permission to just, you know, tame my tongue. I want to be someone who speaks words of life. And I've had times, you know, what I know is what roguing is, is repentance. So when you take out, you know, those ideas, it's you repenting for what you've done and you're turning to do something new. And so in conversations I might have, like I've been at that place where I, my tongue is so set among my members <laughs> and I say things I know I shouldn't say and I leave feeling bad. And then I have to call my friend and say, you know, I'm sorry I said that. That was not okay. I felt pretty convicted after I said that and I'm sorry I repent to you. I repent to God, you know. And when I've done that, it, it basically <laughs> removes that at the root, you know, that the next time in that conversation I have, you know, tapped into more of the love of the Lord because I've gotten that out. And it's not there. You know, so little do I have to do that now because so many times I've just been bold enough to repent. And it's, it's humbling. It's very humbling to do that. You just don't want to do that. But every conversation I've had with someone where I've had to do that, it's just been good. Afterwards, you're like, yes, that was the right thing. They were graceful. They were gracious to me. I appreciate it, you know. <laughs> and um, it's worth it. And then there's times where I'm just doing something. I'm just thinking thoughts in my heart. And I just know that they're not aligning up with, you know, the wisdom that's from above. And I'll just repent right then to the Lord. And repentance is roguing. It's getting those things out so that no other ideas around that can be tainted by the rogue idea. Surrendering your heart, repenting for those things, and then just being intentional about seeking wisdom that's from above. In the Bible, so full of wisdom. And in my relationship with God, and just recently God's been speaking to me about talking to him about things that, you know how you just run into situations in, in your family or in your relationships or something, and you're just not sure quite what to do about them? And you just, I personally have found that what I do is I just, push it away and don't deal and then hope that situation doesn't come up again, you know. And uh, that's definitely not accessing the wisdom of God, but I've just been encouraged, the Lord's just been encouraging me to just pray and just ask God for wisdom for that specific situation. And I have to do that when I'm spending time with him. It's just easier when I'm in his presence and I'll just pray and ask God for wisdom for that situation. And, you know, I get an idea and it's so encouraging. 
It's like, wow, that is pure, that is gentle, that is peaceable, that all those things, that is so what the Lord has on his heart for us. It's a, a treasure. And I was thinking about how that really reminds me of the kings of Israel, you know, that would always be in a battle or a place where, you know, they had to inquire of the Lord. So they would go up to the temple or whatever, and they'd inquire of the Lord, and he would bring an answer. And it's no different. For us today, it's no different. You know, we can inquire of the Lord and access his ideas, and he will speak into those things, and he will guide us and lead us, and it just always is worth it. It brings peace. It brings, you know, joy. It's like, okay, that's great. Actually, that's such a brilliant idea. And um, I was just, I've been running more lately, and I've kind of got a goal ahead, and I'm running a lot of miles, and at the same time, I've been in a time of fasting a lot, and I was like, Lord, you know, should I be fasting and running all these miles? I'm not really sure if that's wise, and I felt like the Lord just spoke to me and said, I, right now, your running is like a fast, and you're training your body. You're in a place of weakness, you know, all those things that fasting is, and I was like, what? Like, what? You know, and it's just for a specific time that I'm doing this, but I just never had thought of that idea, and it was so outside of what I would have ever imagined, but when he said that to me, something leaped up inside of me. I actually had tears in my eyes, like, wow, that is amazing, you know, and just for this certain time, he's like, you know, it's okay not to fast once a week. It's, I want you to be running for me, you know. I'm like, okay, that's different, but I just, it really resonated with me, and it was something that I never would have thought, you know, and that's wisdom from above for me right now. I'm not saying that that's what everyone should do. It's just right now that's what the Lord spoke to me, and I just, you know, who knows what he's going to speak, but it's going to be in line with, you know, the word of God, and it's going to be in line with, like, maybe confirming something you're already thinking or whatever, but our, in parenting and our marriages and the workplace and our businesses and our friendships, there's wisdom from heaven, you know, and I just feel like he just drops it into us sometimes, too. You know, you just, you can tell when the Lord's at work. So let's um, respond to that. And um, just take a minute. How many of you are interested in kind of just saying a prayer with the Lord? Let's just do it. Why don't you stand up? And if you would like to, you can just pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I repent. For any way in my heart that has envy or self-seeking, wash me clean, Jesus. Yeah, thank you, God. And just say, Jesus, will you add to me wisdom that's from above, wisdom that's pure, that's peaceable, that's willing to yield, that's gentle, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and hypocrisy. Make me a part of the unified body of Christ and make me a unified part of New Day Community Church. Amen. And I just declare over you, I just declare over you into the principalities and powers in the heavenly places that New Day is a church full of wisdom from above. In the name of Jesus, yes. Amen. All right, Tori.
All right, you may be seated.